Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Tim Furlong. Tim is a reporter for the Delaware Bureau of NBC's news affiliate in Philadelphia, which is my news affiliate. He's also an adjunct professor at Widener University. He describes himself as high energy, conversational, and versatile. He's been part of an Emmy award-winning team. He's been in TV news since 1997 and is a grad of American University. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining me. Hey, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I I really appreciate it. I, I like your work. It's fun to meet you in person. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking some TV here. We don't do a lot of TV on, on this podcast, but we've done some. And we first want to start by learning your journalism origin story. Oh, geez. I, I went to, I, I've always loved TV. I was the, the dorky kid that called out that skip school. I said I was sick just so I could stay home and watch Price is Right and Gilligan's Island reruns. I, I love TV. And then I in high school, I, did some, I actually did some newspaper, school newspaper stuff. And then in college at American University, I really wanted to go into like entertainment television, but there's so much news there. And the NBC bureau at the time, the Washington bureau with Tim Russert and meet the press and all that was literally 150 yards away. And that was ended up being my first job right out of college. So it, it made sense. And I caught the news bug at that point. I mean, I'm working with Andrea Mitchell, Pete Williams, Tom Brokaw's in and out. I think Brian Williams might've still been there at that point. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was like a, a neat place to work. It was inspiring. And then and then from there, I, I wanted to do my own story. So I wanted to try to be a reporter. So I took a little bit of a pay cut and a gamble on myself. And I went to Charlottesville, Virginia, then Providence, Rhode Island, and then Philly. And I've been in Philly since 2002, so uh, which is pretty cool. Going back a little bit, is there anything in your background, family, heritage that lends itself to telling stories? My dad wanted to be a sports photographer and do sports journalism. There was a little bump in the road. His, his girlfriend in college, that bump being my sister. <laughs> my parents are still married 50-some years later. My sister's in her early 50s. So it all worked out. But it sort of put him in a path where he couldn't do that. But he sort of always tells me, he's like, oh, I live vicariously through you getting to go to the Super Bowls and World Series games and things. So that's, the, but that's really it. I, I think my great-grandfather had run, some, he was Greek and he ran some, like a newspaper out in like the West Coast somewhere when he came over from Greece, but not any like tangible connection. I, I, I am not a kid that grew up with an obvious in in the business, so to speak. Now, you said that you worked in a number of markets before Philly. You mentioned Charlottesville. You mentioned Washington, D.C., Providence. What was the turning point moment for you in terms of your career getting to where it's gotten? There were a couple of turning points. I was working in Providence and I had this very scary news director who scared the bejesus out of me. And she called me in one day and and she's like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, uh-oh. And she said, around the newsroom, you have so much personality. You're so funny and outgoing and personable. I see you on TV and you bore me and I don't see any of your personality. And I was like, oh, what a gut punch. <laughs> but she said, listen, I want you to go out and I want you to just, when you're on a story, just talk to me like I'm your neighbor. Talk to me like I'm your mom. And I did it that day and she brought me in that night when I got back from the story. She's like, that's it. If I ever see you go back, you're dead. And by the way, that was in like 98 or 99. In 2016, I was on assignment down in Miami covering hurricanes for Philadelphia, but also for the Miami NBC station. She lived down there at the time. 
think she still does. And she saw me on TV and sent me the nicest note saying, I've been watching you all week while you've been down here. You're doing exactly what I asked you to do and you're still doing it. So, and I, I really do credit her. That was a big turning point. And then just getting into Philadelphia, which is my home market. I was literally, my wife and I were walking into our apartment in Foxborough, Massachusetts with our new baby in our arm, who's now a junior at North Carolina. And we like literally walked in and my agent called and said, Hey, I have a job for you in Philadelphia. I said, we're doing, we're doing it. Cause that's home. So it was cool. Nice. Now, I think what you just talked about before shows you the power of essentially the three word phrase more like this. Like yes. that, that's, all, <laughs> yeah. that's all you need, right? Like to, to yeah. establish how you're going to do things. Yeah. And she's sort of like, that was good inspiration. And as a teacher now, I've been teaching at Wider for almost 20 years. And I'll, this coming spring, I'll be teaching at the University of Delaware also. My number one rule with my students in, in journalism, but especially TV, is just tell it like you're telling your mom. Just if my mom calls me and asks, hey, what story are you doing today? She doesn't want the, the newspaper bottom details. She wants the big stuff. And she wants it told to her in a palatable way. She wants it told to her like a friend is telling you the story. When I get to go somewhere cool, like a sports thing, like the Super Bowls and the World Series kind of things or concerts, those are the easy sort of things. But I always think like, what would my next door neighbor want to know about where I am? And the number one thing people, uh, thankfully it's audio, so your viewers aren't looking at me, but I'm not going to win any sexy contests. But I will say this, the number one thing people say to me when they come up to me is, you seem so nice on TV, which is really a compliment because I, I think I'm the kind of the same in real life as I am on TV. That's a nice compliment because it means I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm connecting with them. I'm giving them the information they need, but also in a, in a sort of a palatable way that they, I mean, sometimes it's a story that you're not going to enjoy, but at least you're going to get it and you're going to sort of trust that I'm giving you the facts in a conversational way. So we typically go through different stories that people have written or put together for uh, radio or for TV. Uh, and I've got three in front of me right here. And there are three different ones. You said sometimes it's not the best news uh, that you're reporting. Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, the first one would just be simply, how do you go about reporting on something like the Delaware Memorial Bridge completing a huge repair project ahead of Thanksgiving? It's funny. That story, if you if you watch the story, it's it's boring. <laughs> It, on, on, a, on a sunny day, I would have gone out there and illegally flown the drone and done all this cool stuff. Like, I'm like a tech toy. Like, I'm a geek. I, I mean, literally before this podcast, I was playing Flight Simulator on Xbox. <laughs> I'm a dork. A proud dork. So I would put the drone up. I shoot on a gimbal camera, so it's like cinematic. That day, it was pouring rain in the middle of the Delaware Memorial Bridge, which for those of you who don't know the Delaware Memorial Bridge, it's a big bridge over the Delaware River between Delaware and New Jersey. It's windy all the time. And that day it was like a monsoon and they had a tent up because they insisted on doing this grabbing. So it was a big deal that this project was done. But again, when I do that story, the number one thing I'm thinking about is not the person cutting the ribbon, like the proud transportation department worker. The person I'm thinking about is who does it affect? It affects the people that use that bridge, commuters every single day. It's also a bridge that it's heavily traveled for People going anywhere from the Northeast to anywhere south of Delaware, which you cut through to get to Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and on south. So li living where you live, I mean, that's a big bridge. And, and so I always just try to remind myself, every story affects somebody. Who does it affect? That's who I want to talk to. That's who I want to make this story for, basically. How do you go about reporting on a story about a professor at Delaware visiting Peru to teach cheesemaking to a small village? That was a pitch from the school, and I just thought it was kind of cool. 
I, I thought it was a, an interesting story. Uh, it also, I said, hey, does this this person happen to have any video or photos of their trip? And they did. The other thing for me that sold it too was we're a duop, we're a triopoly. We have NBC Sports Philadelphia, we have uh, NBC 10, and then we have Telemundo 62. I speak a little bit of Spanish. My wife's a Spanish teacher. I try very hard to always think about my Telemundo colleagues. So when I heard that she was going, she had gone to Peru, she speaks Spanish. I could interview her enough in Spanish that we could use it on both NBC and Telemundo. That kind of sold it. And again, it's a good, that's like Delaware's my beat basically. So it, it's kind of cool. Like that's a, that's a, it's a good story. And by the way, it's, it's a story. I don't want to get in the weeds and stuff, but it's, it's what we call an evergreen story. It doesn't have to be done that day. It doesn't have to air that day. So I think I shot that one morning and I think we aired it some other day, but it was a cool story and I liked it. And also she's the head of this university of Delaware creamery that has insanely good ice cream. So I didn't, there's no journalism ethics here. She didn't buy it for me. I went and I got myself an ice cream, but it was, and it was worth it. It was awesome. <laughs> Her cheese was pretty good too, by the way. That, that's good. great. How much of your work is pitched to you versus the stuff that you come up with? It's a good mix. I mean, a lot of it is like, sometimes it's just something that is like so obvious it's going on. There's like some holiday or beaches opening back up for the summer for Memorial day in Southern Delaware, holiday travel, Thanksgiving. Some days it's, following stories on Friday, I'm going to the demolition of this super popular restaurant that was destroyed during Hurricane Ida a couple years ago. They're destroying it to make a new one. So it's not a terribly negative story. Everybody loved this restaurant. It's kind of like an iconic place in that area. So like, so that's just a follow-up story. Like you, you get to know people, you hand out a bunch of business cards, even on stories like we had this big manhunt in our area. It kind of made national news. This guy escaped to prison and for couple weeks he was on the run and in the woods and it was crazy i've i've been getting calls from people with story ideas that i met on that story giving me ideas that has nothing that have nothing to do with that story so it's that's just how you end up doing it and then there's just some stuff that i just you know i, I do like read newspapers in all parts of delaware and if you want to call it stealing the story i, I guess i mean they probably steal my stories too but i mean if you see it in a newspaper and then it's like, well, let's do a TV version. And our audience is different than their audience. If they're a small paper in central Delaware, um, they don't have their people in our larger Philadelphia viewing area, which is huge. They're, they're not going to have seen that story. So, and, and I mean, I don't shy away from it. I'll tell a newspaper reporter, be like, Hey, I saw your story. I read it. Great idea. <laughs> yeah, We did the story. So, and they do it to me too. They tell me that and it's fine. It's, it's cool. I don't think it's as nearly as, I don't think journalism in the field is nearly what people think it is like the Ron Burgundy, like we're all like having fistfights in the alleys behind the TV stations. It's not like that. I think we're much more friendly. We're competitive, but we're, we're just all doing our own thing. And, and there's plenty of stories to go around and I'm not going to let you get the, get, get over on me in Delaware, but I'm not going to stab you in the back to make sure you don't either put it that way. So then there's a hard news story. A Delaware state trooper could lose his job for punching a handcuffed su suspect in response to a prank. How did the reporting on that go? Yeah, that's a, that was a little tricky because I covering Delaware and living in Northern Delaware, I, I, I know a lot of police officers. My kids went to school with police. I mean, you just know them like as not in news. And I do a lot of stories with police organizations and the stories are positive, but sometimes and, and I think everybody understands this. Sometimes you have to hit hard. You have to ask the right questions. You know, that story, the, the state police, the head of the state police 
didn't stick around for questions at the news conference. They said she had a meeting. I don't know if that's true or not. It seemed suspicious that she just walked out because my questions were hard questions. My questions were, wait, hold the phone. This guy is charged with beating up these kids that doorbell ditched his house, like ding dong ditched his house. The this kid got punched while he was in custody in the back of a squad car. There are other officers standing around. There's There was a helicopter called in. How are you? My question is, it, nobody else would get that kind of response. Like if, if, if I called the police and said, somebody ding dong ditched my house, there's no helicopter. My house, there's not four different police organizations coming. So you have to ask those questions and you have to, sometimes you have to make authority figures squirm a little bit. And, and I think they know it. I think, they, you know, some of them are like one of our senators. He'll tell me like, there's a controversy and I'll meet him at the train station and he'll be like, how hard are you going to hit me? I'm like, just going to ask you the questions, brother. <laughs> like I got to do it. And he gets it. And these people are, they're big boys and girls and they can handle it. And they, and they have to, you're elected officials. You're paid by taxpayer dollars. You, you have to answer the questions. And if you don't answer the questions, that's very telling too. And that's part of journalism is, is showing people what they did answer, showing them what they didn't answer. What do you do beyond the reporting of the story in terms of producing the pieces that wind up on TV? 100%. Literally in the morning, I start shooting it. I set up my interviews. I do my interviews. I make the calls. I drive myself to the interview in a, in a news Jeep that has a desk in the back. It's a two-seater Jeep with a desk in the back. I edit on Adobe Premiere on a laptop in the back of that Jeep. And then I, I feed it back to the station in Philly. And, and I'll, do, I'll do as much or more as any reporter that's working with a photographer, for sure. I mean, most days I'm doing two versions of my main story, then maybe a couple other stories, get some weather video, whatever they need. If it starts today, we had snow flurries in Delaware. So I grabbed some weather video for them. It's just, it's just, you're on the clock. You're on the clock. It's a, it's a hustle as a grind, but I like what I do too. I, I mean, I enjoy the actual, I enjoy the process. I enjoy the shooting, the editing, the artistic side, the journalism. I kind of enjoy it all. What's the best example of something that you did on the editing and artistic side to, to make a story better? I did a story. I, I heard about this guy in Southern Delaware that is now has a very successful company that makes sea salt, which is used in restaurants and you can buy it in stores. I heard about this story. I also heard, I, I, so I went to the website and the guy on his website said it started with him like literally, like he, his family has this beach house in Southern Delaware. He would go in with buckets into the ocean off the back of the house and he would scoop up salt water, bring it home and he'd mess with it and try to boil it down, boil it down, boil it down. And he's now gotten really good at it. So the day I went to shoot it, I said, I'm, I'm going to, I want to come down really early because I want to be there as the sun's coming up. And he doesn't always do the, the water bucket thing anymore because he's gotten a lot bigger, but he says he still does it sometimes. So we're not faking anything. And, and I also, I think I said in the story, like, this is how it started him, but I followed him with this little gimbal camera and the sun was coming up and then I shot with a drone about this high, a foot off the top of the water and did like a really slow revolution. I just said, keep scooping the water. Like, I just need to see you do it. I followed him with the drone back to his truck and, so, and it just was very beautiful, very cinematic. It was also one of those days. And again, I don't know where your listeners are watching, but those Canadian wildfires that made all that smoke. Everybody hated the smoke, but I didn't hate it that day because it created this beautiful soft box in the sky. And it was this beautiful dispersion of the sun and it diffused the light. And it was, it was like magic morning. If you get a chance, just go to NBC10.com and you can find that story. It was like a magical shoot. I couldn't wait to get back to my laptop to put the video in to the computer just to see how it looks. Not because I'm some genius, but because it was just, 
basically God teed it up for me that day. <laughs> you knew you had you knew you had something great, basically. Oh yeah, God. Yeah. It, it was like I said, na- Mother Nature and God. They hooked they hooked a brother up pretty good. Yeah, the, the it, if you are a watcher as I am of New York Mets baseball, the director of those telecasts often talks about the cinematic power of television and what he tries to create and how he tries to create little movies within a game. And how how much education do you need to be able to do that well? It's really interesting that he said that because, I mean, what he does, what I do, what you do, we're all storytellers. I mean, like, I I always try to convey it to my students, like, we're storytellers. I mean, you you can call it journalism because that's a factor in it. But at the end of the day, whether you're writing something, a podcast, a, a YouTube page, whatever, TV reports, there it's 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 a story that you want to make it relatable to people and that's why i shoot on the, a, a tiny little gimbal camera because it's more cinematic i do not i had a i had an old-time news photographer tell me one day that he didn't like my stuff because it didn't like look like local news and i told him I, I think he was trying to insult me but it was the nicest compliment he could have paid me because i didn't want it to look like that i don't want Everything on a tripod, wide shot, medium shot, tight shot. I want drones flying over me. I use a 360 camera so I can do cool stand-ups with an invisible selfie stick that disappears. Like whatever is the best tool to tell the story, to make it, as the young folks would say, epic. That's what I want to do. Like I want to entertain myself. Like if I'm on a beach and I have the beach to myself and I'm doing a story about beach erosion, you can be pretty damn sure that drone's going up and it's going to follow me down that beach. And I'm doing my stand up, looking up at a, at a drone revolving around me. Like, I mean, wh- like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> a brief interruption. Please subscribe to our Substack at journalismsalute.substack.com. We'll have show updates and much more. Now back to the episode. What other technological things are um, happening now that weren't necessarily there for you 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, once tape went away, that was a big thing. So you're, it's nonlinear, which is great. For me, the biggest thing has been, like I used to, when I first started shooting video, which again, in Philadelphia is not a common thing for like, a, in a market this size, most people do not shoot their own video. I choose to do that. I was sort of asked to do it. And I did it like 10% of the time. And then 10% became 20% and 20% became 30%. And then I realized, like, I love this. Like, I, this is what I want to do. I, I just want to do it by myself. I want creative control. it's hard to explain my vision to somebody else. I'm friends with a lot of our news photographers at the station, but I'd rather shoot it myself 99.9% of the time because it's just something I'd rather do. But yeah, I mean, so, but again, it's just like, so the technology being smaller, lighter, easier to upload, download, get into a computer, airdrop, Bluetooth. My last camera broke. I, I was without a camera for like a week. And I have a real broadcast quality TV camera. I Instead, I shot it on an iPhone 13 with a Gorillapod. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I'll put it up against anything that other people in this market might be shooting with a $15,000 camera with a $5,000 lens. I'll put it up against anything. And again, the best tool for the job, like there's a time and a place. I don't use drones every day because I, I don't, not every story calls for that. I don't use 360 cameras every day because that's kind of a quirky, there's, it, it's a little bit kitschy a little bit, but sometimes that's the best way to tell the story. If, I'm, if I need to shoot something where I'm like showing people coming through a pipe, a 360 camera on a 10 foot invisible selfie stick is pretty cool way to show it. You know what I mean? So, or if I'm showing, like if I'm doing a story at a farm, 
hey, you can be darn sure I'm putting that drone up and I'm flying right over the guy as the dust is flying off of his tractor and stuff. That's the best way to tell the story to make it look. I want it to look like something you'd see on Netflix that catches your attention and goes, damn, I got to watch that. Like, I can't not watch that because there's things that I see on TV that I'm like, oh, oh, man, like, God, I wish I shot that. <laughs> it's so great. And that's just what I want. I want to inspire people and I want to be inspired. Uh, what makes Delaware so interesting to cover? Delaware is cool. Delaware is like this kind of Philly's cool little cousin, especially like Wilmington is like a city of like 75,000 people. It's got a cool riverfront. You get to know a lot of people. It's the city of neighborhoods and a lot of people like you kind of, it's almost like a soap opera town. Like everybody kind of knows each other. And then there's the politicians. I mean, five minutes from where I'm sitting is the president's actual house. It's also a very diverse state in terms of like politically, it's a little more progressive upstate, more conservative downstate, a good mix in the middle state. There's only three counties. There's only one area code. It's we're the 302. Like we, every, we all say like, oh, we're back in the 302. It, and you get to know people. I think people are very open and warm with their stories and they're trusting of you once they get to know you a little bit and they know you're, you're going to tell a fair story. Even politicians that I've had to do stories on that like, they don't love that I did this story, but they get it. And as long, you know, they, I think they generally think I do a fair job. And then, of course, we have the beaches down south, too, which is was pretty cool. So there's a, we're the lowest lying state in the country. So that's kind of cool, too, because there's a lot of climate change issues here and, and climate stories and not to get political. But, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that gets sort of hashed around here. University of Delaware is also a really neat school. My daughter goes there. And like I said, I'll be um, teaching there next semester. There's a lot going on there. It's, it's a really interesting place. And um, they have an ocean campus down at the beach. and They do like environmental work and political science with the Biden Institute. So there's just a lot going on, let alone all the we get all the trials, too, in Delaware, like when because everybody's incorporated here. So if somebody's suing Elon Musk, it's here. If somebody's suing Mark Zuckerberg. It's here. The Fox News Dominion trial that was supposed to happen. It lasted. Well, it didn't last. It was over before it started. That was here. So we, we get a lot of we get a lot of media attention now. And of course, having the president from here and his uh, campaign staff is all based here now, too. So that's created. It's going to create some interesting stories for us. So, yeah, it makes it interesting. And we're only I mean, if you for those not familiar with this location, my house in North Wilmington, Delaware, I am about four minutes from the Pennsylvania border and I'm, we're about 32 miles south of Center City, Philadelphia. So. Yes. So that explains my Phillies fanness, my Eagles, Flyers, Sixers, and MLS Union, which they're not. <laughs> you're all right. You're Philly through and through. That's cool. Five for um, five Philly fan. Yeah. What you're both a, a reporter, a producer, and an educator. What are the journalism issues that you're most passionate about? I, I get frustrated with the misinformation. We're such a world now where, and politicians play into it, which is. I'm just going to say something. I know it's not true. I'm going to say it. And that's going to make it true to a lot of people. And that frustrates me because I see even like my parents will be like, they'll tell me something like, that's not even true. Did you even like look at that? Did you even like good consider the source? Did you Google that? Did you? And it's all misinformation. I mean, I see people say things about electric cars. I don't have an electric car. I have a 1998 Jeep Wrangler in the garage that I love as much as I love my kids. I, I'm not, but I, I hear all this stuff about like EV batteries. They're $25,000. Like I've done stories. They're, they're not, you're not going to have to probably replace the battery. You can fix the battery. Like it's stuff like that. Like misinformation drives me crazy 
because it undermines what I'm trying to do. I, certainly nobody appreciates being the, the phrase fake news out there and stuff. Like, it, like, I just know what I try to do. Like, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a Catholic school kid. I just try to be fair to everybody and treat people with kindness and empathy and sympathy and tell a good story, a fair story, an objective story. And I see people sort of like, some people ruin it for everybody else. And, and that's a bummer. And, and so that, that really bothers me. I, I also like, I see what social media does to people. Social media is a good way for us to share our stories. Um, I, I really have concerns about what it does to people's loneliness and mental health and teenagers. Uh, I have, I have you know, my son's 21 now, but my daughter's a teenager. Like I see like that kind of stuff. And I also see, by the way, when you're covering like this Israel-Palestine conflict on both sides of this, I hear people with these clearly uninformed positions on things. And you talk to them and be like, where do you, like, why do you think that? And on either side, well, on TikTok, this guy said, really? Like, that's your source. Like, I mean, purely TikTok, like one guy on TikTok, you decided is the authority. I'm not saying I'm the authority, but all I can do is assure you that anything that comes out of my mouth, I'll have researched it enough and I'll try to give you the objective, both sides of it. So at least I can say like, well, look, I get why they say this. These people are saying this. And then you make the decision at home. If I do my job properly, no one knows my political stance. Nobody knows my opinions. I, I try not to use, frankly, this is a journalism thing. I try not to use a lot of adjectives. It's not my place to use adjectives. My place is, I'm a, I'm a noun and verb guy. <laughs> the, the old you're, you're probably old enough to have diagrammed sentences in school yep. with the subject, object, the verb. You had to draw the red line, and I hated it with a passion. Me too. But I, I get it now, man. I get it. And that's the thing. Like, I, my job is not to give you adjectives. Your brain at home watching, you'll provide your own adjectives. If I'm in a class with you at Widener, what am I learning? A lot of the journalism stuff, a lot of the conversational writing, because I think that's not taught. I mean, it, it takes a little... Uh, it takes a little breaking you down out of the English class writing and literature professors and English professors probably like, they probably don't like what I'm trying to do to my students, but it's, they're different worlds. But it's like, this isn't term paper writing. This is conversational writing that's meant to be read aloud. So a lot of it's writing. And then I also teach hands-on video production too. And from day one in my video production classes, you will have a camera in your hand, even if that camera is your phone. And you'll be learning about lighting, about even like I'm a stickler, like in my little makeshift little studio here, I have like a lamp with no shade on it. I have one point in me, I have a little spotlight on the back. Like I, I try to think about these things. Again, I'm a dork. I, I'm not going to run from that. But yeah, so it's a lot of hands-on stuff. It's a lot of, I want to make it fun. I, as, as an educator, I, you have to make it a little bit fun these days. Like there's a lot of kids don't just say, I'm going to work hard and get an A because it's very important that I learn this because that leads to my next step. Some kids don't even care about the grade. It's like, whatever. And I'm not saying I have to entertain them. I have to, I have to teach them what I'm supposed to teach them. But if I do it right and they see that I enjoy what I do, then I think generally speaking, they have fun with it and they want to do it more. I mean, I took, I take kids outside. Uh, I taught a drone class at Widener last year, but before that, I just took kids outside one time in one class. I took a couple of drones out. I said, under my supervision, fly a drone. I'll show you how to do it. Fly it. And I had like all sorts of kids messaging me on Instagram. Hey, can I get in that class? And I'm like, it wasn't even a class. And then it became a class because 
making TV and video is fun, man. <laughs> like to me, it is. If you go to my YouTube page, you can search my name, Tim Furlong. My YouTube page, by the way, is not meant for you to watch. It's it's vacation videos and corny holiday videos with my family. That's really meant as souvenirs for my family, for my kids and their kids down the road. But if you watch, like again, back to the dork thing. I mean, our family vacation videos, drones, gimbals, steady cams, special effects, captions. I mean, like we go all out, man. Or I go all out and they just sort of put up with me. You are fully immersed, it seems like I love it. seven. What what did you win an Emmy for? Or Emmys? Uh, yeah, I've won four. And you know what? They're, they're, I think all of them are actually for things that sort of as a group kind of thing. Some things about like like the winter classic NHL thing, I think up in Fenway Park, I think was one of them. Uh, I hosted a show for a few years on NBC called Foodies. And it was like an, a, a restaurant show, actually, which was some of the most fun I've ever had in TV. The only catch was that the photographer and the producer they gained a lot of weight doing it because they shot the food on a different day. And then I just show up and do my own camera stuff and be like, Hey, where's all the food? Like, well, we shot it yesterday. I'm like, so I don't get any food. And they're like, nah, sorry. I'm like, but it's okay. It was, but it was so fun. So we won an Emmy for that. Forget what the other ones are, but we've won Murrow awards for prison riot in Delaware, a Phillies, a Phillies special. Like we have this really good sports producer and anything he touches turns to gold. I don't, I, honestly, I don't submit that much stuff for Emmys. I'm not like a real like award hound. I mean, I, I have nothing against it. Listen, if I had 25 Emmys or I had, I, after I, after I won one. It was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was cool. And, and one's on like, I gave one to my mom and dad, which is kind of cool. They have it on their bookshelf and they think it's like really, it's, they think it's cool. I have three of them on our mantle, two of them on our mantle here at home upstairs. And my wife uses them to conveniently hold way down christmas decorations and christmas cards and stuff like that so that's that's what ends up happening with them but uh, yeah it's kind of an honor but like but again the stories that i like the most that i do probably aren't stories that are like gonna like catch an emmy judge's attention they're just like people that i liked interviewing and i just liked the story and, and the memory of that day shooting it editing it like the the seesaw one might be one where i loved it and an emmy judge might love it too because it's visual and it's interesting. I think I did a good job with it, but the story itself was really good. And it, again, it teed it up for me in every way. I, I, I don't have the ego to think that I, I don't believe me. I, I think there are people that think like in TV, some people probably think like when I come on that TV screen, everybody at every house in the, in our market stops what they're doing and says, I got to watch that person. I have no delusions. I understand moms and dads are making dinner, coming in from work. The kids are around. The TV's just kind of on. And I hope that they watch my stories. And I hope that they they pay attention when we want them to pay attention. And some people clearly do. Because people tell me stuff about myself. They're like, hey, you got that little mole. You should have that checked out. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, like stuff like that. So, but but generally speaking, I don't think I'm this. The, the story is king every single day to me like it's all about the story there i don't do stand-ups every day in every story i do because i don't need to see me some days there are days where me being on that camera distracts from the real story and i don't want to do that because it hurts the story so it's just i don't know maybe maybe if maybe i don't have enough of an ego i don't i don't know but that's just the way i do it it's, it's worked for me so far i've been tv reporter for i think 26 years now so it's, it's working 
Yeah, I was going to say, and it sounds like you you love it, and you you convey that passion for it certainly very well. The show is called the Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you'd like to salute for their good work to close the show? Oof, that's hard because there are so many good ones, and there are like just really good reporters. Like I used to work with Pete Williams at NBC News. Pete Williams was a the nicest guy that I one of the nice guys I worked with so smart like off the chart smart but he could make supreme court issues so relatable Kristen welker who hosts meet the press used to work with us at nbc in philadelphia and before that she, we 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 missed each other a little bit at a station in providence Kristen welker is the hardest worker i've ever met in television and she cares deeply about fairness and objectivity i i, I assure you when you watch Kristen Welker, you're getting the absolute real deal. And by the way, she's a great mom, a great person, just super nice. She's off the charts stellar. So those are two people that come to mind with NBC. There are some other organizations that have been doing stuff that I think are really interesting. I think there's, I'm starting to see more like YouTube news organizations that I think are kind of interesting. Some of them are like politically leaning left and or right. Like I, I think there's just because I don't agree with all everything I hear on a, on a thing doesn't mean they don't do it. Well, I don't have to agree with somebody to think they do a good job. So there are people that I think do a good job, but, but, but Pete Williams was, I'm, I hope he's enjoying his retirement because I wish he'd come back. He, he's, he's really good. And, 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 and Kay Welks, as I call Kristen, she's, um she's first class. Perfect. Uh, two good salutes. Thank you. Uh, Tim, Tim Furlong, reporter for the Delaware Bureau of NBC's news affiliate in Philadelphia and a professor at, at Widener University. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.